Romans chapter number 8. Romans 8 is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. It is full of practical and uh, very meaningful truths, and I believe that uh, the things in this chapter are very pivotal for success in the Christian life. And I'm going to focus on one particular topic today. We'll begin reading in verse number 24. The Bible says, For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. That's my text here this morning, but I'd like to go ahead and read verse 26 through verse 28 just for fun, just because these are great, great verses. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Verse 26 through verse 28 needs to be in every believer's toolbox. If you don't need those tools of truth today, I guarantee you there will be a day come in your life where you will need them on more than one occasion. But our message today comes from verse 24 through verse number 25, and obviously you can see that the subject at hand is hope. What I'd like to speak to you this morning is the subject, it's time for a hope refill. Let's ask the Lord to bless the message to our hearts today. Lord, it's good to be in church, and what a privilege it is to preach the Word of God. Thank you that we have a Bible that is inerrant. It's accurate. We can trust it with our very lives, with our eternal souls. Lord, as we've gathered here today, and Lord, as people watch from live stream, uh, wherever and whenever, we pray that whoever hears this message today, Lord, that the message will have the blessings of God upon it, that the Holy Spirit will use it to help people. Lord, we need your help today. Lord, there's no way that I could even imagine how many needs are represented here today, what people are going through, what they're struggling with, and what uh, what the needs are. But Lord, you know, and we pray that you would use this, anoint it with your power, with your spirit. Give me clarity of thought. Help me to deliver the message with the presence and power of God. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Every month I have a reminder that pops up on an app on my phone that tells me that it's time to check the level of my propane tank. I have a big propane tank buried in the backyard. I don't know how many, I don't remember how many gallons it holds. I know it holds a lot. And we use that for our water heater and for our cooktop. I think at one time a previous owner used it for the, um, the, the backup furnace that um, when the heat uh, pump won't, won't keep up with the temperature, but they changed that out before we bought the house. And so we use it for our grill, our cooktop, and for our water heater. And so it, it is essential, and it's one of those things that you don't have to fill it very often, and if you neglect it, it'll sneak up on you, and you'll think, well, it seems like I just had that filled two months ago, but actually it was nine months ago, 
and sometimes it runs low without you realizing it. You say, well, why do you have it? Why do you check it every month? Well, in any given month, it could be that my daughter took two extra showers and it's going to be empty. She's not here today, so I thought it would be very appropriate to have a joke at her expense. But I try to keep track of that. If it ever gets too low, before it runs out, actually, you know, propane has an additive that uh, helps you smell it when it's leaking. And actually, that additive is heavier than the propane, and it all settles to the bottom of the tank. And before you run out of propane, usually you'll start smelling that in the kitchen or in wherever your water heater is, and you'll start catching that aroma doesn't mean that you have a leak, it just means that there's more of that um, that additive that's uh, in the line and uh, you, you definitely know it. So I try to catch it before it gets too low. And the reality of it is many gauges have red lines and those red lines indicate when something's level is getting what we would call dangerously low. It reminded me of something that Winston Churchill said back after World War II. He was asked what Great Britain's greatest weapon in the war was, and he replied, why the same weapon it's always been, hope. I look at what's going on among believers today, and I'd have to say that the hope gauge is redlining. It's dangerously, critically low. If we don't get our hope back, then we're going to lose our war. Now, I carefully chose my my wording there. I said we're going to lose our war because we're not going to lose the war. The war is already won. We have victory in Jesus Christ. But at the same token, each and every one of us have a race to run, and we have a fight to that needs to be fought, and we're supposed to be soldiers, Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.4, he said, No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. If we're going to win our war, we're going to have to have a lot of hope. Hope is what gives us the strength to win the victory. And that victory is fought, and we are soldiers. And If there's ever been a time in my life when God's people needed to stop entangling themselves in the affairs of this life, it certainly is today. Now, I want to talk to you about detecting hopelessness. Hopelessness is not always easy to detect. Uh, I don't know about you, but we all uh, hate medical tests, don't we? And let's face it, some medical tests are worse than others. Uh, I know just this past week I got tests for COVID, and I'm glad that they've they've kind of uh, upgraded the technology a little bit, and I just had to have that swab just kind of spun around a little bit in the nostril. The first time I got tested, they had to take it all the way up into the brain, move it around, and and I think that it was thumping on the top of my skull. It was just brutal and horrible. This time it just tickled enough to make me sneeze about seven times. (laughs) But tests are not pleasant. MRIs are not pleasant. Uh, There are other tests I won't even mention that are even more unpleasant. We hate medical tests, 
And yet our life is not just dependent upon our physical condition. We have spiritual conditions. We have emotional conditions. And I want to talk a little bit about detecting hopelessness. And the first thing that I want to bring to your attention are the inner feelings that accompany hopelessness. It starts with un- being feeling, I should say, unwanted or unliked. It doesn't mean that you are unwanted or unliked, but it certainly means that you feel like you're unwanted or unliked. Then you become despondent. You become paralyzed. You become numb to life. You get to thinking that things will never change. And then often you don't just stop there. You think that not only are they never going to change, but they're probably going to get worse. Now, while all of that may be very well true, that doesn't mean that that's the way that believers, God's children, are supposed to feel about 2021. And then you become detached. You start feeling like you're on an island. Nobody cares. Nobody really understands. Even when you're with people, you feel all alone. You feel trapped as if there is no way out. And then comes the outer evidences. You begin to feel drained. No motivation. You can't seem to muster up any motivation. Then debilitated. You become insecure in your decisions. You don't want to make a decision. You try to defer that to other people. Disinterested. Things that you previously enjoyed are no longer enjoyable. Defeated. You give up too quickly. Disgusted. You become pessimistic and negative about life. Disconnected. Socially withdrawn. And then displaced. Not feeling like there's anywhere that you truly belong. All of these are indicators that you're battling something that everyone battles at some point in life, and it's called hopelessness. The downward spiral of hopelessness, Proverbs, uh, Solomon understood it a little bit, and he said in Proverbs 13 and verse number 12, he said, hope deferred maketh the heart sick. Too often we neglect the second part of that verse where Solomon also said, but when the desire cometh, it is a tree of life. I know something different about trees. You compare trees to corn stalks. Corn stalks grow fast, but trees grow very slow. And so often that hope that is deferred, we have hope that something's going to turn out the way that we want it, and it doesn't. That doesn't mean that things aren't going to pan out the way that they need to eventually in God's timing. I think that's why it's so important that we read Romans 8.28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. But hope deferred certainly does make our hearts sick. Our disappointment leads to discouragement. Our discouragement leads to disillusionment. Our disillusionment leads to depression. And eventually our depression leads to despair. I'd like to share this passage with you from the Apostle Paul, and this this has helped me from time to time, and there are other times when I've struggled with uh, with a hope deficiency, if you will, that I've forgotten about this passage, and this is a very important passage for all of us as God's children 
to know and understand. He says in 2 Corinthians 1, verse number 8, For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. But notice what he says in verse number 9, But we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raiseth the dead. You know why Paul didn't become hopeless in all of his numerous troubles and trials? Because his hope was not in this life and in these circumstances. He had basically allowed himself to have the sentence of death that, hey, whatever happens to me, it's not my business. I'm not going to worry about it. It's God's business. I've already died. And so why worry about it? You're not going to become hopeless. You're not going to have unfulfilled expectations if we have our hope and our expectations in the right things. Today's lack of hope is the result of substituting Christian hope with cultural hope. Today, it seems like more than uh, than Christian hope, we have hope in society's values. Boy, there's a source of disappointment and discouragement. How about hope in legal justice? Boy, there's a lot of things going on legally. You can't even depend upon a conservative Supreme Court these days. Amen? And more often than not, things are going in the wrong direction. And you'd think that the legal system would support the truth and would support righteousness. But sadly, more often than not, they do not. How about hope in people's promises? People let you down. Hope in an organization, hope in your education, hope in your work to provide you purpose, hope in your physical abilities. Tell you what, once you hit 40 and 50 and 60, you start finding out if your hope is in your physical abilities, you're pretty soon going to have no hope, amen? Hope in your financial provision. Boy, it doesn't matter. There is There is some way, no matter what you do, that your financial provision is not 100% safe. Doesn't matter what you invested in. You can put it in a bank. You can hide it in your mattress. Listen, the bank can collapse. You say, but it's, it's, it's insured by the federal government. Listen, the federal government can collapse. I'm going to hide it in a mattress. Hey, somebody can break in and steal it from your mattress. I'm going to bury it somewhere. There is no place that is 100% safe and secure. How about hope in your plans for the future? How about hope in your family and your expectations of how you hope that the future would pan out? Listen, we have replaced Christian hope today with cultural hope, and that's why we're so despondent, so depressed, so discouraged, and so disillusioned as believers in 2021. In First Peter 1, verse number 3, Peter said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto what? A lively hope. A lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Hey, what's a lively hope? It's a living hope. 
You ever thought about this? Living things need to be cared for. They need to, they have to be, they need things in order to stay lively. Just like this life that we live. You know, if you deprive your body of the things that it needs, you're not going to be so lively. If you don't take proper care, and if we have a lively hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, then it is imperative that we feed that hope. We maintain that hope. We care for that hope because it is a living, a lively hope. What are we hoping for today? Well, first of all, I find in 1 Timothy 1, verse number 1, you know, when somebody writes you a letter... Oftentimes, the things that are most important are the things that they say first. And Paul, who was mentoring young Timothy, this is the very first thing that Paul wrote to Timothy. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. Brothers and sisters, our hope as believers is in Jesus Christ. It's the first thing. It's the, it's, I mean, when we think about our hope, we need to always remember that our hope is in Jesus Christ and there is nothing else that will not at some point let us down, disappoint us and not live up to our expectations. But I've got news for you. Jesus Christ will exceed your expectations. Amen. And then we have in the scripture the hope of righteousness in Galatians 5, 5. For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. Listen, as a child of God, I want to live righteously. I want to be right with God. I want to be pleasing to the Lord. But I don't know about you. I know for me personally, I've found that I'm always failing to live up to that expectation. Just when I think I'm doing good, I fall flat on my face. Just when I think that I've gotten victory over some struggle, boom, there it is again. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Thank God, no matter how discouraged and no matter how many times that we fail in this life, as God's children, we have a hope that one of these days we will be completely righteous. What God has done on the inside the moment we got saved at the resurrection, he's going to make us completely 100% righteous. The old man is going to be gone and the new man is going to be alive forever. A, A new man that is righteous and holy and perfect, just like Jesus Christ in his sinless resurrected body. No more aches and pains, no more failure, no more guilt, and no more shame. Praise the Lord. We've got a hope as God's children that one day we will be righteous. And that brings me to the third thing, the hope of glory. Paul said in Colossians 1.27, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Men seek for glory today, but there is no glory that will 
that will uh, withstand the test of time other than the fact that Jesus Christ lives inside of us as believers. So how can we get some hope? How can we get it? Number one, we need to grow some. Grow some hope. Take your Bibles and go to Romans chapter number 5. I'll have it on the screen for our live stream listeners, but if you're here and you've got your Bible, I'd like for you to see it in your book, Romans chapter 5 and verse number 1. How can we get hope? We can grow it. Romans 5 and verse number 1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. When we go through tribulation and trials, we need to remember as believers, God's just trying to grow our hope. Those trials and those troubles and that suffering is not wasted on a believer. Do you know the world suffers too? But they don't have the promise that we have that their suffering and their trials are going to be worked together for good. But we always have that hope that no matter what we're going through, if we will stay with God, if we will stay faithful, God's going to take that and work it together for something good in our life. He's going to use that to grow more hope. Listen, there there are things that when I was early on in my Christian life and in my ministry, there were things that bothered me back then that don't bother me today. I can remember times when I was just sure that everything was going to implode. I've had times, believe it or not, where I was just certain that I would show up to preach on Sunday morning and literally nobody would be here. You say that's a little bit, um, little bit maybe extreme. Uh, I felt that way. Just certain. In fact, my wife and I sometimes as we pulled up toward the church, we saw a car. It's like, well, somebody's here. And sometimes you just get, you get discouraged or you get disillusioned and you just think that things are worse than they are. And sometimes maybe things are pretty bad. But you get through them. And I've had times where I've prayed and I've said, you know what, Lord? You're either in this thing or you're not. You're either going to have to do it because I can't. And I've just turned it over to the Lord. And, and, you know, I've had times where I told the Lord, look, if, if this thing implodes, If you're not in it, then I'd rather move on to something that you're in and not waste any more of my life on something that you're not in. Amen? And I've just had to say, just let her blow if you're not in it, God. But if you're in it, then I'm going to stick with you, God. I'm going to get through the tough times, and I'm going to be faithful, and I'm not going to quit. I've had times where I felt that way. But you know what? God's always been faithful. And as time goes on, some of those same things that used to just rock my world, now they I don't even lose any sleep over them. I found new things to lose sleep over. (laughs) 
we're all going through different time, different things at different times in our life. And let me just encourage all of you. Sometimes we, we think that somebody else's trial is no big deal. We just think, well, why don't you just suck it up? It can't be that bad. How many times, and, and I say this in my shame, that I've, that I've known of a brother or a sister going through something and I've just thought, come on, that's just, that's, that's nothing. What's wrong with them? And then God put me through the same thing and I find out, wow, was I an idiot or what? That wasn't easy. So often we become armchair quarterbacks and we just, we just know what the quarterback ought to do. Oh, but we've never done it. We've never faced the challenges that they face. Oh my goodness, how did he miss that receiver? That receiver was wide open. We don't realize that the lineman that's bearing down on him is the same lineman that two plays ago made him hurt so bad he wanted to cry out for his mama. (laughs) I read a story about in the 1950s, a scientist by the name of Kurt Richter. He was a Harvard graduate working for John Hopkins University. And he did an amazing experiment. I'm sure that some of you have heard of this. He, he took a, a, a number of rats and he put them in a bucket full of water. And, and they had a device that made the water stir. And there was no way that the rats could climb up the wall of the bucket. And to make a long story short, he basically took those rats, put them in the water, and set the timer and wanted to figure out how long it would take for those rats to drown. He found that there was a baseline of about 15 minutes before the rats started to give up and succumb to the depths of the bucket. And then he tried a follow-up experiment. And he took some different rats, same species, everything was about as identical as could be, put them in the same bucket, and right around 15 minutes when the rats began to succumb to the futility, he took and he rescued those rats out of the water, dried them off, gave them some rest, nurtured them just a little bit, gave them some nourishment, and then turned around and put those same rats right back in that water. You know what he found? He found that those rats just kept on rat paddling. They don't dog paddle, by the way. You probably didn't know that. They kept rat paddling for two and a half days. Fifteen minutes without hope, they're dead. With hope that they may be rescued, they survived 240 times longer than the ones that were given no hope. How many times has God reached down in your hopelessness and pulled you out and given you hope? And yet, how many times do we think, oh, this is it, I'm not going to make it? And every time, God is so faithful. If we want some hope, then we're going to have to grow some hope. We're going to have to start taking God at His promise, remembering the times, remembering, remember how He saved you? You know, I, I guarantee you, 
Some of you got saved as little children, but many of you got saved at the point in your life where you were so much in utter hopelessness and despair. You were such under the conviction and burden of guilt that you didn't think that there was any hope for you whatsoever. But somebody came along and told you about Jesus Christ and Him dying on the cross and the hope that is in Jesus Christ and you got born again and your life was changed. So often we go through some of the same troubles and trials and God is always there and He's always, always faithful. We grow hope. Secondly, how do we get some hope? We need to read some hope. We read some. In Romans 15 and verse number 4, the Bible says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. There are so many things in the Bible that give us comfort, that give us hope. Listen, when I want to quit on God, I'm reminded of Elijah Elijah, who just said, I'm not better than my father's. God, just let me die. And God showed his tender mercy to that discouraged prophet. I'm able to look at that and think, why was Elijah so depressed? Why did, you know what I find? I find Elijah was expecting something to happen that God never intended to happen. How often do we get discouraged because we had an expectation that God never wanted us to have. I find comfort and hope in the Scriptures. I think about David who, listen, when when they're at Ziklag, when they came in and they captured all of the wives and all of their stuff and they told David and all the men were so discouraged that they spake of stoning David. What did David do? The Scripture says he encouraged himself in the Lord his God. When I'm ready to quit, I can find hope in the Scriptures that I can encourage myself in the Lord. Listen, when when we need some rain, wouldn't you agree that hope for rain is stronger when we read about it in the weather forecast? You know, there's been times where I was just sure it wasn't going to... And listen, weather forecasts aren't always right, but I've got a book here that's always right, Amen. But even with an inaccurate weather forecast, I've had times where I actually went out and moved stuff on my back porch because I was just sure that the wind was going to come up. I've taken, I've moved stuff indoors because I didn't want it to get wet. And more often than not, especially this day and age, the weather forecast, believe it or not, is right more than it's wrong. We don't remember those times when it's right. But it is. It's right more than it's wrong. We can read about hope and we read about it in the Word of God. And what we need to start doing is not looking at the clouds, not checking the temperature, but just simply taking the forecast because the forecaster has never missed one. He's never made a mistake. And praise the Lord, he's always been on time. You want some hope? Then read some. And then my last point, number three, be a hope-filling station. Some of you old-timers, I remember when I was just a kid, when you'd pull up to a gas station, roll the window down, and an attendant would come out. They'd pump your gas for you, 
and uh, you'd roll the window down, and as the attendant came up to the window, you'd say, fill her up, fill her up. Nowadays, we pump our own gas, don't we? We wash our own windshield. We check our own oil. Well, or we go somewhere else to have that done. But it used to be a filling station. They took care of your needs. They would fill your tank for you. Romans 15, verse number 13. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. You know what Paul's doing here? He's praying for these Christians at Rome, and he is asking God, the, the God of hope, to fill them with hope. We need to be a hope-filling station. We need to pray for it for one another. We need to wish it. We need to instill it. You know, I I talked about reminders on my phone. I've got about a dozen things that I depend upon those reminders. And one of them actually is weekly, a weekly reminder to go out and start my old pickup up. Why? Because there's something on this pickup that drains the battery. It's a slow drain. But if I don't start that truck up at least once a week, if I wait two weeks, sometimes I'll get by with two weeks, But more often than not, if I wait more than a week and I go out there, that battery's dead. And so I gotta, I gotta go out there and make sure that I start that thing up so that the alternator will charge the battery and that battery won't get a short in the cell and go bad. I've had that happen on more than one occasion. And you know what? I think about that and I think, you know what? As, as believers, as God's family, We need more people that are battery chargers rather than selfish battery drainers. You know, there are, there are some people you get around them, you get around them for five minutes and they will, it's like a leech on your forehead. They will suck all of the hope out of you. Complaining, whining, talking about themselves and their problems. Have you ever been around someone? and had a 10-minute conversation, and then they get done and they walk away, and you're kind of like, oh, and I'm doing fine too, by the way. (laughs) You don't say that, but you want to say that. And they just suck all of the whole, they suck the life out of you. We need more people that will be hope-filling stations. Could you say you're a hope-filling station for other people? You know, there's people that, you know, there, there are circumstances in life that will drain our hope battery. We can't help it. It just, it, it just wears us out and we don't even have, we don't even have enough to get the engine cranked up. We can't help ourselves. We've got to have somebody to help us. Thank God for hope filling stations. And I'm looking out at some of you. You, you have no idea how that there have been times that you've encouraged me with hope by your faithfulness, or maybe by a word of encouragement. And, you know, I want to be that kind of hope-filling station, and I hope that you want to be that kind of a hope-filling station. In conclusion, conclusion, the tank of hope is filled with the nozzle of gratitude. You know, no matter how bad things get, we have plenty to be thankful for. Billy Graham once said this, he said, the greatest need in our world today is the need for hope. 
We thrive on hope. We rejoice in hope. We witness in hope, knowing that experience works hope. There is hope for the future. It is centered in the person of Jesus Christ who died for our sins and rose from the grave and is alive now. I have staked all that I am and ever hope to be on Him. It's like what he said. He quoted Psalm 146 in verse number 5 where David said, Happy is that happy is he that hath the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God. Many years ago, there was a man that they called the human fly. And uh, he, was, uh, he was challenged to climb down this building. It was a, a brick building. And he's climbing down this building. And he gets about halfway down. He's still plenty of stories up. And he's trying to find a place where he can, a crevice that he can get his fingernails in or maybe reach out and put his toe on. And he, he sees that there's a, looks like a little crack or a little crevice that he can just barely reach, but he's not going to reach it unless he turns loose of the hold that he has. He looks around and he can't find any other options. And so in a, a, certainly a moment of excitement and adrenaline, He turns loose of the crack that he's holding on and he reaches for that crack only to find out that it wasn't a crack at all. It was a spider web. And with that spider web clutched in his hand, he literally plummeted to his death. You know, folks, it's so important that we place our hope in something that's not going to let us down. And the Lord Jesus Christ will never, ever let us down. Thank God we've got our hope in the Lord, our God. And I close with this story. Back in World War II, there was a sergeant, Marine sergeant, by the name of Tom Kotick. And he was acting platoon sergeant of Foxtrot Company, 24th Division. And he had already... He had already won a purple heart. He'd already, excuse me, he'd received a purple heart and won two silver stars for valor. And he'd already survived many, many battles. The one that stood out in his mind was the one at Kwajalein. As the Marines had taken over a town and many of the Japanese soldiers and the folks in that village had went up on the top literally of a cliff and rather than be captured, They were throwing themselves off of the cliff for their bodies to be dashed in the rocks below. The Marines had set up a loudspeaker and they began to say, do thyself no harm. We're not going to, we're not going to harm you. We're, we're taking prisoners and they're doing everything they can to stop these Japanese from literally dashing themselves on the rocks below. Sergeant Kotick remembers, in fact, for years, His entire life, he would wake up in the middle of the night still hearing the screams of those children as their mothers would hold them in their arms and they'd plummet off of that cliff. Listen, folks, that's not something that you forget easily. And so that was instilled upon him emotionally. But in addition to that, his injuries and the battles that he had been through and literally, literally of his company as he was getting ready to land on Iwo Jima, 
literally over 80% of his regiment were no longer there. Emotionally, he had suffered so much. There on Iwo Jima, he's on the ship, and, and he really wasn't too worried about Iwo Jima. His unit was actually a reserve unit. And so, lo and behold, over the loudspeaker of the ship, they began to say, you need to make out your wills, write your last letters, because it's time to get on your carriers. And he was going to have to land on Iwo Jima because the first wave had literally been completely wiped out. Kodak was certainly discouraged by that, but he did what he was supposed to do, and he got on his carrier. And as he landed there on Iwo Jima, the first thing that he did is he very severely wrenched his foot on some wire, and literally his ankle swelled to twice the size. There was no, there was no way that he could get a medic or get any relief, so he just tightened up his bootlaces the best that he could, and he pressed on. And time would fail me here this morning to tell you how the rest of his day went. But it was a rough day. And he, he survived many, many things that day. But toward the end of the day, Captain Redland gathered up whoever he could find. And he said to Sergeant Kodak, he said, the time has arrived to do what we must do. You see, there was a hill that needed to be taken. And Kodak is exhausted. He's emotionally spent. He's physically, he's hurt. He's, he, he has no energy whatsoever. And he says to the captain, he says, sir, I have had it. I would like to quit and just walk away. Captain Redland understood. He nodded and gently wrapped an arm around his sergeant's shoulders. He said, Sarge, I didn't hear that. This job must be done. We move out and take the hill on my signal right after the artillery barrage. A few moments later, Captain Redland gave him a steely-eyed gaze and said, I'm ready, sir. Folks, Sergeant Kodak from Michigan survived that day of Iwo Jima. And for his valorous action, he received a third silver star and a second purple heart. And he lived on to a great old age. You know what, folks? There are times where we just feel that we can't go on. We have no hope. We're done. I can't do it anymore. And you know what we need to do? We need to do the same thing that Sergeant Kodak did. We need to obey our captain, ignore our feelings, ignore our past, ignore our suffering, and just simply obey our captain. And you know, the good news is this, no matter what happens, we've got hope. There is hope in Jesus Christ. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. We thank you that it's a lively hope. We thank you that it's based upon the word of God and not our feelings. I pray, Father, that you'd take and use this message of hope to each and every one of our hearts. Help us, Lord, to keep our eyes upon you, not have expectations that 
our expectations that you don't want us to have, but help us to keep our eyes upon the Lord and our hope in heaven, that hope in righteousness and that hope in glory. Thank you, Lord, for the promises that you have given us. And I pray, Father, that you'd use this message to help each and every one of us in Jesus' name. Amen. Please remain seated with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. As the pianist plays softly, I'd like to give you an opportunity to talk to the Lord. If you'd like to come down to an altar here up front, kneel here and talk to the Lord, you're invited to come. Perhaps you'd like to just pray right where you're at. How's your hope here today? Is your hope redlining? Are you running on fumes? Are you on empty? Have you allowed discouragement and disillusionment to paralyze you? May we all stop looking at circumstances. May we stop having cultural hope and start having Christian hope. When all that's said and done in this world, it's the Christian hope. It's the only thing that's going to matter. The Lord Jesus Christ.